So good to have you with us here this morning. John chapter 4. Our text this morning is found in verses 31 through 30. I'm sorry, 31 through 42. 31 through 42. When we began chapter 4 a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the travels of Jesus and his disciples from Judea in the south of the land on his way up to the Galilee, up in the north by the Sea of Galilee. And as we had mentioned, the the Jewish people in traveling north and south in the land always avoided going through a portion of the land, right, right smack in the middle, of the land uh, called Samaria. They avoided going through Samaria. They didn't even want to get the dust of Samaria on their shoes. And so they would travel twice as far to get to the north or twice as far to get to the south uh, because they didn't uh, want to uh, be tainted by the Samaritans who were people that they knew were, uh, and called them half-breeds. And as I explained a couple of weeks ago that... Uh, the Samaritans became the Samaritans because they were uh, back in the time of, um, of the Assyrians when the, when the northern ki- uh, tribes of, of Israel were taken into captivity. Uh, they brought other nations into, the, into their captivity as well and the Jewish people mixed with them and therefore they came up with this, uh, this other breed of people called the Samaritans. And, and uh, they believed in part of the scriptures. They only believed in the first five books, which is called the Torah. They believed in that, but then they, they changed a lot of the, the meanings of the, of the Torah as well. So their religion, the Samaritans, was, was a mixture of, of all kinds of different things. So the Jewish people tried to avoid them at all cost. But not Jesus. Because you see, Jesus not only came for his people, but he came for all the world. And we were told early on in this particular uh, chapter that Jesus must needs go to Samaria. It was necessary for Jesus to go into this land of Samaria. Necessary for one reason and one reason alone. For him to be at the well of Jacob, which was outside of the city of Shechem, or there in the area of Shechem, the, the capital of Samaria. In the mid of the afternoon, in the middle of the afternoon, there at this well, when it's at the the sun is at the highest, it's the hottest of the day, and no one else was out there, and he was there, and the disciples left him there and said, "We're going to go into the city to buy some food." And there, Jesus, in his weariness and his tiredness and his thirst and in his hunger, sat waiting for one person, a woman of Samaria, who came out in the middle of the day to get water coming to the well at a time when water wasn't actually uh, 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 gotten from the people because, you know, the, the women of the, of, the, of the city would come out to the well early in the morning. They would come out in groups. The ladies did or the, women's, the women did. And they would either come then or they would come later in the afternoon when it was a lot cooler. But no, she came in the middle of the day because of her reputation. She obviously had a reputation. And she didn't want to have to be confronted by it, so she would come the hottest part of the day to get her water. But Jesus was there. It was his appointment with her. It was her divine appointment with him. And as the 
account goes, Jesus asked her for water. Give me a drink of water. And she said to him, How could you, a Jew, ask me, a woman of Samaria, for water? It was a very rare thing that a Jew would be there in the first place, but that he would ask her, a woman, and not only just a woman's, you know, that, that strike one, strike two was that she was from Samaria. Which, by the way, strike one and two, that was your out, you know. But not for Jesus, you see. Not for him. How could you ask me? And Jesus said to her, if you only knew the gift of God, and the one, the one who says to you, give me a drink, you know, you would, you would have asked of him. And he would give you living water. And she says, yeah, that'd be great, but you don't even have a way to get water out of this well. You don't have a bucket, you don't have your leather pouch. How are you going to give me living water? (laughs) But then she says to him, are you greater than Jacob? Are you greater than the one who, who made this well for us? And Jesus said to her, You know, woman, if whoever drinks of this well here, they'll thirst again. But whoever drinks of the fountain of the water of life that I provide, they will have in them a well of living water that will spring up into everlasting life. And she says, that's what I want. That's the water that I want. But Jesus then presses this issue. He says, okay. But go call your husband. Bring him here. Now it's become personal, you see. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus said, it's great that you answer truthfully because you have had five husbands and the one with whom you're living with now is not your husband can you imagine her eyes (laughs) thinking how did he know that and you know when sin is revealed in our life the first thing we want to do is run and the first thing she wanted to do was change the subject So she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. So let's talk about worship instead of me. Here we are at the foot of Mount Gerizim. This is where we Samaritans worship and you worship in Jerusalem. So where is it? Where do we worship? So they get into this discussion of worship. There's the one thing she shouldn't have done with Jesus. Because he tells her, neither at this mountain, nor there. You see, you don't know what you worship, but we know what we worship because the salvation is of the Jews. He was speaking of himself. 
But a time is coming. When men will worship God. Because God is, God is searching out worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. That means they'll worship Him wherever they are. Not in a certain place. And so, the woman now mentions Messiah. I know that Messiah comes. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. (laughs) And Jesus said, I am Messiah. I am he. And everything changes for that woman. She has now met the Messiah. And she leaves her water pot. What did she go to that well for? She went to get water. But she leaves the water pot. And she goes back into the city to tell the men of the city, Listen, there's a man at the well that has told me everything that I ever did. This couldn't be the Messiah, could it? And the men now leave the city to go to this well. And that is where we pick up in our story. While this is happening, the disciples are coming back from Shechem and they're seeing, first of all, before the woman goes, the woman goes to the city, he sees her, him talking to this woman and wonder, well, how could he be talking to her? And what, you know, what's going on here? But they don't say a word. The woman leaves and now the disciples are with Jesus and this is what takes place in verse 41. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. They come to him and they say, listen, Master, you need to eat. You're hungry, you're thirsty, you're tired, you're weary, and, and you need to eat. And that's a good request that they actually give to their Lord. They said, you know, you need to eat. You haven't eaten in a while. You need to get some sustenance in you. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. Which is prompting them here in verse 33. Therefore said the disciples went to another. Has any man brought him ought to eat? Has somebody else bring him food while we were gone? You see where their mind is? It's on the food. It's it's, it's on the, the physical nourishment. And Jesus said unto them, My meat, my food, is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. Let's consider this passage here for just a moment as we begin our study of this text. From conversing to conversion. From conversing to conversion, that's all it took. It was a simple discussion about water and worship that led to a changed life. Jesus delighted, by the way, in this woman's conversion. Oh, how, how the Lord just delights when we come to Him, when we, when we finally get it, when we finally get the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord delights in it. The angels rejoice when a soul is saved. So how couldn't the Lord delight in each and every one of us coming to Him. But He delighted in this woman's conversion because it was a major part of the work which His Father had given Him to do, <clears throat> which is to reveal Himself. 
world. So much so that it overcame for a time his desire for food. That's how focused Jesus was about, uh, about declaring himself to this woman as Messiah. Now see, we have to understand that food has certain characteristics. Food has certain characteristics. Here Jesus talks about food. And I know that if we go too long in this issue of food, y'all are going to keep your minds away from what we're dealing with. So we'll do this real quick. Because of time, you know, the time factor here. But food has certain characteristics, several characteristics. Certainly one is, is enjoyment. People enjoy, enjoy eating food. There's nothing wrong with that unless you just eat too much. But there's an enjoyment characteristic in food. Secondly, there's also this satisfaction of, of a desire. You know, sometimes you just desire certain foods and, and, and when you have it, it satisfies you. But the greater characteristic in essence is the very fact that food refreshes and it strengthens. We all need to eat. We all need to feed our bodies the fuel that the body needs each and every day. And I know that from time to time there may be, there may be times when we will set aside a meal or two to fast, to wait upon the Lord, to wait to hear from Him. Nothing wrong with that. God sustains us. Think about Jesus when He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. How weary He was when the enemy came to deceive Him. But what was the first thing that Jesus tells the enemy? Tells him about, uh, you know, uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But Jesus, as he thinks of his father's work, his father's work had these characteristics to Jesus. The very same thing. The enjoyment of bringing a life that was dead to life. The satisfaction to, to, you know, to satisfy that desire of a person's heart for true spiritual water, true spiritual food. And then not only that, but just to see that refreshment and strength that would come to a person receiving that gift of the Lord. So, his father's work had those characteristics to Jesus whose life actually fulfilled that principle that I just mentioned that man shall not live by bread alone. So with these, with these things in mind, I want you to consider the application for the believer, the believer in Jesus Christ. The application here <clears throat> is that the believer is to labor for the one true God. The believer is to labor for the one true God. Now, I don't mean labor in the sense that, you know, sometimes we think of labor from, you know, in this, in this kind of negative sense, you know, oh, labor, you know, I've been laboring over this, you know, kind of like a tremendous burden. No. I'm not, I'm not even talking about the labor that a, that a woman goes through in, in childbirth, you know. Because that's painful. The other's burdensome. But when you consider labor as for the Lord, it is something that is to bring a delight. A delight to everyone who believes. So the believer is to labor for the one true God. We can say the, the believer is to work for the Lord. To fulfill the will of God in each and every one of our lives. The believer's life is to be focused upon the will and the work of the Lord. That should be our focus each and every day of our lives. No matter where we are, no matter what we do, no matter where we go. We are to focus upon the will and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's every believer, not just some. 
And then the believer's purpose on this earth is to serve the Lord. It is to obey the Lord and it is to work for the Lord. But it is not a burden for us. It is a delight for us to do it, isn't it? Yes? Oh, I just want to make sure you're here. I just want to make sure you're listening to me. That you're understanding what I'm saying. It is not drudgery for us to work for the Lord. The challenge, though, will be in distinguishing between the physical and the spiritual concerns in serving the Lord. And this is what I mean. Consider, if you will, that the disciples of Jesus returned from the town having gone to buy food. They knew that Jesus had been thirsty, that he was tired, and that he was hungry. But now as they sat, more than likely eating their lunch, because they went and got their lunch too, and they're encouraging Jesus to join them in lunch, they noticed that Jesus made no effort to eat. So they made that suggestion that he eat. So I want you to take note of two things. The first thing that I want you to take note of is that their concern was for physical nourishment. It was for physical nourishment. Their minds weren't really on the woman to whom Jesus had just witnessed, uh, even less on her spiritual needs. There was still a need in the disciples to develop a spiritual depth. There was a need for the disciples to develop in their hearts a spiritual depth. What do I mean by that? Well, listen, the scriptures tell us, uh, especially in the New Testament, that we are not to be, you know, to stay in one level of, of spiritual uh, uh, spiritual growth. Like if, you know, if, if we were to take uh, levels of, of, of school years, the Lord doesn't want us to stay in first grade the rest of our lives. We go from first grade to second grade, second grade to third, third grade to fourth, and so on and so forth until we, until we get to high school and we go, you know, 11, 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, and if we go to college, we go to all those, all those levels, you see. There are levels of spiritual growth. We are not to stay in one place because when do we mature if we don't get into the Word of God? Folks, we need to get into God's Word. We need to read God's Word. We need to study God's Word. We need to pray over God's Word. We need to have a devotional life that every day we are spending time with God to the the extent that He is speaking to us through His Word and we are praying to Him and asking Him to give us wisdom and grace and light and understanding so that every day we can grow more and more in the image of Christ. That's the kind of depth that these disciples were going to learn in three and a half years with Jesus. So their need was to learn to focus on Christ and His mission of salvation. To concentrate on a world lost in sin and shame. Until Jesus, they wouldn't have stepped into Samaria. They would have been like all their other Jewish brethren, gone around that, that place. But they saw Jesus go and they said, well, He went in, we better go with Him. I mean, we did commit to following Him. Might as well go with Him. They had yet to learn about the warfare that there is when you serve the Lord. There's a warfare. But first, they needed to look for every opportunity to reach people for Christ. And that was what he was teaching them here. As I mentioned, there is this warfare waged between the physical and the spiritual concerns of life. Paul spoke about it this way in Romans chapter 8 verses 5 and 6. He said, for they that are after the flesh 
Do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, you know, let's, let's kind of make some distinctions here. How many of you are here in the flesh today? Oh, you got what I meant. Okay, good. That's, that's good. Yeah, because I see you. I can see you and you can see me, right? So we're in flesh. All right, so that, that's obvious. But there is another way that we interpret this issue of being in the flesh. Being carnally minded. That's the next verse in just a moment. So what Paul is saying that if for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Being carnally minded, only considerate of and, and concerned about the things that deal with the flesh. He says, they, they that are after the flesh do, the, do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit. Now we're here in the flesh, but we are here to be after the spirit and after the things of the spirit. That's why we're here, amen? That's why we have open Bibles here. Because we're after the Spirit. So he says in the next verse, For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So, you know, that's why we're here. That we might grow in the life and the peace and the joy and the, and, and the wonders of God's mercies and God's grace. Now Paul specifically speaks to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and he says to him, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now I bring this up because this is what we battle every day as the good soldiers of Christ. He says, Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars, in other words, if we are commissioned by God as soldiers of Jesus Christ, no man warreth that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Now, what about the affairs of this life? Well, every affair of this life usually pertains to the flesh, usually pertains to things that are, that are material or, or monetary or, or of, of, some, of some sort uh, of, of uh, physical thing. We don't get entangled with those things so that we may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. <clears throat> so we can please the commander in chief here who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't get entangled in the things of this world. Though sometimes we have to be, though sometimes we have to deal with things, nonetheless we need to deal with it spiritually, not fleshly. So that is the first thing, what the disciples were focused on. Secondly though, the concern of Jesus was for spiritual food and spiritual nourishment. It was to do the will and the work of God. He had food, as he told his disciples, he had food that they knew nothing about. But he was going to show them, that the, show them the source of that food. Jesus, by the way, was not telling them that physical food was not important. It is. But his passion and his desire was to do his Father's will. And theirs and our passion should be to do God's will as well. Now, Jesus is a pattern and an example for us of these things. Jesus is a pattern and an example of one who loves to do the will and the work of his Father. 
He does it so that we can say that is what I am supposed to do as well because now his father is our father. Consider the words of Jesus in John chapter 5 verse 30 when he says, I can of mine own self do nothing. May I, may I first of all interp- uh, just give you a little bit of an understanding of that phrase. Remember that Jesus voluntarily came to this earth. That's what Philippians chapter 2 tells us. That Jesus came voluntarily to this earth to take upon himself flesh, to submit and surrender himself to the will of the Father to the extent of going to the cross. So, he says, I can of my own self do nothing because he has committed himself to the will of the Father. Y'all got that? Let's see. Get it? Okay, good. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will. Notice what he says. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. If that is the heart of Jesus, then that must be our heart as well. That we do not seek our own will, but the will of the Father that sent us. In this case, that changed us. Got it? But a few verses, a few chapters later, chapter 8 and verse 29, Jesus also said this. He said, and he that sent me is with me. So not only do we, want to, do we have a passion to do the will of God, but now we know something. God is with us. Jesus himself said, and he is with me. The Father has not left me alone. Haven't we heard the words of the Lord God himself to us saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Uh, 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 I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 1. The Father has not left me alone. Guess what, folks? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He hasn't left you alone either. And thank the Lord for that. But then He says, For I do always those things that please Him. Now, who's the greatest example and pattern for us to follow? But Jesus. That everything that we do for the Lord, no matter what it's going to involve, no matter what it's going to entail, no matter what the end of it may be for us, everything we do is to please the Father. Because He has given us life eternal. That He'll never take away. So, truly then, Jesus taught that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so our priority should always be spiritual. And folks, I know that sometimes we can say we have priorities. But folks, as believers, all of our priorities are wrapped into one. And our priority should always be spiritual and not material. Our priority should always be to fulfill the will and the work of our Father. As Jesus would say in His great high priestly prayer in John 17, words that He prayed before going to the cross, Jesus said in verse 4 of John 17, I have glorified Thee on the earth. He prays to the Father, He says, I have glorified Thee on the earth. And He says, I have finished the work which Thou gavest Me to do. I have finished it. I've completed it. I have completed the work. God has called us to complete the work that He has given us to do on this earth before Jesus comes. 
And we are to work until that moment that Jesus comes. There's not a time, you know, we, we oftentimes hear, well, no one knows the day or the hour. Well, do, if we did know the day or the hour, we just kind of wait on top of a mountain on, you know, wearing our white sheet, you know, waiting for the Lord to come. Why don't we know the day or the hour? So that we can trust Him to come when He wants to come and, and take us while we're doing His work. Better we be doing His work than doing our own will. So, as we know that Jesus would finish His work for His Father, so we must take up the challenge for fulfilling and completing our ministry. By the way, every believer has a ministry. Each and every one of us has a ministry. We may not know the extent of that ministry, or we may know it very well. Whatever that may be, we are called to complete that ministry. The Apostle Paul, by the way, I had you go to 2 Timothy. I hope you're still close by there. If not, go back to 2 Timothy for just a moment in chapter 4. Because in chapter 4, uh, that's the last chapter, actually, that, that Paul writes. This is his last letter. Probably his most personal letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. As he sits in a prison, awaiting his execution. And he, he tells Timothy, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Words of encouragement to his son in the faith to keep fighting until the Lord comes. To keep running the race until the Lord comes. And to keep and to guard the faith until the Lord comes. Within that particular chapter, in verse 5, he tells Timothy this. He says, but watch thou in all things. In other words, be vigilant, be, be always aware of the circumstances around you. Watch all things, endure afflictions. By the way, some people have been taught, you know, that we shouldn't go through afflictions if we're believers in Jesus Christ. I wish they would just read the Word of God because the Word of God tells us that we will endure afflictions. In fact, Jesus Himself said, listen, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Do you know that's an affliction? <laughs> if they're going to persecute me, they're going to persecute you. All the apostles have said, listen, you're going to go through persecution, but be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, Jesus said. So endure afflictions. You will receive them. You will go through them. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Uh, 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 Timothy was a pastor, but uh, nonetheless, he was to also proclaim the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came, put on flesh, became the Lamb of God, pure without sin, went to the cross, died on the cross for our sins, bore our sins on the cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins as that offering and sacrifice that needed to be shared that needed to be uh, spilled for us and he died and then on the third day he rose again from the dead that's the simple gospel we should never stop in declaring the good news of the the uh, the evangelist proclaims good news the good news is what Jesus did 
He says, so, so do the work of an evangelist. And then he says, make full proof of thy ministry. Make full proof of thy ministry. The words there, make full proof of thy ministry, and some of the more modern translations say, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. In other words, finish and complete your ministry. That is what it means to make full proof. Not half proof of it, but full proof of it. Do the whole thing. Do everything that God has commanded and called you to do. That God has given you gifts and talents to do, to complete. And to finish for His glory, honor, and praise. Fulfill your ministry. That brings us now to the urgency then of our labor. We need to understand the urgency of the work that the Lord has given us all to do. So turn back to John 4 verse 35 and we're going to read 35 to 38 verses uh, 35 to 38 where Jesus now speaks to his disciples and he says, Say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. In other words, I sent you to reap uh, what you put no labor into at all. Other men labored and you are entered into their labors. All right. So the Samaritan woman, let's go back to her for just a moment. The Samaritan woman needed water. That's why she took her water pot to the well. The Samaritan woman needed water. The disciples, on the other hand, having already quenched their thirst, probably in the city of Shechem, when they went to go buy food, nonetheless, they needed food. So that's why they went to the city to get the food. And it brought to mind this this interesting position of these thoughts that the sinner's greatest need, the sinner's greatest need is the free gift of God's salvation. That is the sinner's greatest need. That's what Jesus pointed out was this woman's greatest need. The sinner's greatest need is the free gift of God's salvation. The believer's greatest need, if we tie that into the disciples, the believer's greatest need, in the context of what we're looking at today, the believer's greatest need is to understand and to do and to finish the will of God. It is to understand and to do and to finish the will of God. Farmers or husbandmen, as they're called in Scripture, have a, have a period of waiting between their sowing of seed and their reaping of harvest. The statement that Jesus made in verse 35 of your text, look at it, where Jesus said, Say not ye, there are four months and then cometh harvest, was probably a local proverb implying that there was no great rush or great hurry for a task that takes time, and you just have to wait. In other words, they would sow the seed out in the fields, 
And, uh, you know, once that's done, you know, if they sowed the, the, the seed on the, on, the, on the hard ground, the road, you know, the, the birds will come and take it. And some seed would end up in the, in the weed area and the, the weeds and the, and the weed would grow together and the weeds would choke out the weed. Well, that, that would happen because some, weed, some seed would go over there. But if the seed was sown on the fertile ground, you know, what do you do? You just let it go. You cover it up, you water it, and then, you know, you just wait a few months. That was the point. He says, don't say, listen, we're going to just, you know, four months and then comes the harvest. And the last thing that Jesus wanted was for his disciples to develop that kind of mentality about the work of God. That all we need to do is do this and then we wait for four months and then the harvest will come. No, he wanted them to act as if the harvest was ready in the now. Right now. He says, the fields are white right now for the harvest. See, Jesus painted this beautiful picture of the harvest in this passage here. I hope you caught it. The Samaritan woman went back to to get the men of the city. And as they were coming toward the well, they were going through these grain fields more than likely. And if they were doing that in the middle of the day, they were wearing these very light and, and, and linen-y kind of, of turbans on their head, you know, to keep the sun off their heads and, and the, you know, kind of soak up their sweat because it was a hot part of the day. You know, that, that hasn't changed yet here. So he sees all of these men coming and it, with the grain, you know, growing, all you could see were these turbans in a sense. And so he says, hey, the fields are white for harvest right now it's a beautiful picture because he tells them look up and lift up your eyes look at the fields they're already white they're already white for harvest the men that were coming were the harvest the men that were coming were the harvest the harvest of souls that were to be brought into the kingdom So let's search our hearts right now. Let's search our hearts today and ask ourselves. Ask ourselves this. And it's a tough question, okay? But I'm going to ask it anyway. Because you need to examine your heart in this. But the question is this. Are we looking for the harvest? Or are we just sitting around doing other things? Albeit that you're doing maybe good things. But nonetheless, are we doing other things and looking for the harvest or are we doing nothing at all? That's a hard question, isn't it? But the Lord was encouraging His disciples that there is a harvest that is ready right now. And the same thing is being said to us today. The fields are white for harvest. I want to give you four words. This may sound like we're almost done here. We're not. Just warning you. We'll be here for a little bit longer. But I want to give you four words to help you in this. They won't be up here. I'll just tell you they're simple words. The first one is look. Look. You got to open your eyes to look. You got to lift your heads to look. 
But we need to start looking. Because somewhere down the line, somebody looked at us and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with us. Someone saw the emptiness in our life. Somebody saw the deadness in our life and responded in such a way that brought the gospel to our attention. They looked. I I always remember Pastor Chuck Smith's story of his own father. Pastor Chuck was the founder of Calvary Chapel Ministries back in the late 60s, early 70s, was a part of that great move of the Spirit of God in, in the early 70s called the Jesus Movement, a time when I came to the Lord because of it. But he used to say that, uh, he spoke of his father this way, he said, my father every morning would wake up and go before the Lord in prayer and in devotion. And his prayer was always the same as he got ready for work. It was, Lord, give me many souls to speak to about Jesus. But even if there's only one, let me have one person, one heart, one soul to share and to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to. And even if there's just one, never let the sun go down without one person being told about the gospel from these lips. I've never forgotten that story. I've never forgotten that, that prayer. I've always wanted to adopt that very same desire. and live by that very same prayer. We have to look though. And then the second word is watch. They're really not the same thing. I mean look is one thing, but but watch is even more specific. Watching. Being vigilant, staying awake. Not, not, not losing ourselves in the things of this world, but losing ourselves really in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to the extent that we, we are just always vigilant, ready to share the love of Christ with someone. The third word is, is one that actually should happen before, during, and after all these other things, and that's prayer. Prayer. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray that God would give us that, that opportunity just as Pastor Chuck's father did. Pray for wisdom. Pray for help in time of need. Pray for the words to say. You know, there's sometimes, and I've heard some of you say it, I, you know, I've even thought it myself, you know, you know, cat's got your tongue kind of thing, you know. What do we say? But if we're in the Spirit of God, If we're in the Spirit, what are we going to do? If we've been reading the Word, if we've been studying the Word, if we've been memorizing the Word, God will give us that moment when He just brings these things to life because they have been coming into our lives from the very beginning. How can we not speak the Word of God when the time comes? That's the importance of prayer. 
God will give you the wisdom. Even the scriptures tell us that that's what he'll do. He will give us the words when the time is right. How many is that now? Look. Watch. Pray. Oh, gather. Gather. Finish the work. Gather them to the Lord. Gather the harvest. Or the part of the harvest that God gives you. So, we must lift up our eyes in order to look. We cannot see ahead or around us if we do not lift up our eyes and look. Is that... As that beautiful little chorus we sing from time to time, and we'll do it again today, says, the things of the earth have to grow strangely dim before we can look and see. The things of the earth have to grow strangely dim before we look and see. We can begin by heeding the words of the Apostle Paul. Folks, listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He begs, pleads, beseeches, the church, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. If you're alive in Christ, present yourself to the Lord. Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, then I'm here. Here I am, send me. Those were the words of Isaiah. When God met him at that time in Isaiah 6, Here am I, send me. Send me. But then he says in verse 2, he says, And be not conformed to this world. This is what's important here. Don't be conformed to the world. Conformed, you know, that's an interesting word. The, the three words, the three letters are con, C-O-N. Con, you know, that, that, that means with. Don't be formed with the world. You know, with, you know, chili con carne type thing. (laughs) Don't be formed with the world. But be transformed, which means be changed. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that you may prove, hey, we've seen that before, right? Make full proof of your ministry. So that you may prove what is good, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, so that you might do that, you see. You have to be setting the world aside and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, let's take another look at verses 36 to 38 just for a moment. Going back to our text, John 4, verses 36 to 38. He that reapeth receiveth wages. So he speaks a little bit here of, of the rewards of, of doing the will of the Lord. He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathers fruit unto life eternal. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Folks, when we serve the Lord, this is not a competitive contest. This is not about putting notches on our belt. As we will learn very shortly, there will be those who will sow, others who will water, and it is God who brings the increase. I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's read on. Because it says, and herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. This was possibly another local proverb, but, but in fact it was something that is proven in the scriptures as well. That there's one who sows and another who reaps. 
I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and you are entered into their labors. So he says, you know, you, you went to the city to buy food, but that was the way it was supposed to be. So I could talk to this woman. This woman goes and tells the men, the men are coming and you arrived just in time to reap what someone else sowed. That's what he's saying. So Jesus' disciples didn't do anything. And yet, look at the harvest that they would bring. So let's face it, it was the Samaritan woman who brought these men to Jesus. One thing is for sure. We may sow the seed of the Word of God and never see the fruit of our labor, yet someone else will see it. But that's okay. That's okay. I can tell you this. And I think I've said it before, actually, that one day in heaven, somebody's going to come to you and say, I want to thank you for sharing the gospel. You look at them and say, I don't remember you. You know, we're going to have a lot better memory than we have now today. I don't don't really know who you are. Well, he's a, this this person says, well, here's the thing. Somebody shared the word of God with me, but somebody had shared it with them, that was shared it with them. And all the way back to, you were the one who started the chain. You, you, you shared the word with this guy and then he shared the word with this person and this person, this person. And it got to me. So I just come to thank you for starting the, you know, starting this whole avalanche because it really, it, it got me here. You see, we don't know. We don't know whose lives we will affect down the way. Do you remember that I ended last week's study by saying, is this one single life important? Is that one soul important? That one woman that Jesus talked to? Look at, the, look at, his, at what has happened. The important thing is this, folks. It is not about us. It is not about us. It is all about Jesus Christ and it is about building His kingdom and not ours. What we can do is rejoice that we can be a part of that work. And once again, the Apostle Paul clarifies this for us. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 5 through 9, Paul says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? Apollos, by the way, was a, was, was a, a disciple of, of uh, uh, the people there in, in, in that area with Paul and all. Uh, who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed. Even as the Lord gave to every man. So who are we? That's what Paul is saying. Who, who am I? Who, who are we? But just servants by whom you believed. Speaking to the church of Corinth. The word of, of the Lord came to them through these men. But notice what he said. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. The increase. Paul sowed the seed. Apollos came and watered the seed. But God brought the increase. God will always bring the increase. Does anybody here save anyone? I don't save anybody. You don't save anybody either. It's God who saves. Yet He uses us. We are the vessels. We are the sowers. We are the reapers. But God gets the glory. And we should rejoice in that. We don't need the glory. He saved us. That's all we need. We just need to know that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what we rejoice in. Then he goes on and says, so, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. Folks, if you want to be something, then you need to, you need to go do something else. <laughs> we're nothing. He's everything. But that's okay, again, because we're saved. And, the, and, and, and we have eternal life. What more do we want? 
What about crowns? Well, you get crowns. What are we going to do with those crowns anyway when we get before the throne of God? We're going to take them out and throw them at His feet. It's all about Him. Oh, and then he goes on to say this. Oh, maybe I didn't finish. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that waters, but God giveth the increase. So it's God who does it. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Folks, we're not in competition. We can actually work together in bringing the gospel. No one is better than others. If you started the process and and God chooses someone to finish the process, praise the Lord, the process will be finished because God will bring the increase. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So we're not going to sit in heaven looking at our gifts and, and, and our rewards and looking at the other person and says, Mine are better than yours. Do you understand this? That's carnal, not spiritual. Then he says, For we are laborers together with God. We are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, which means you're God's field, you're God's building. God made you what you are today. You didn't make yourself. He made us. For I am crucified with Christ, Paul said, Galatians 2 verse 20. For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'd rather be nobody and nothing as long as I I'm obedient to the things that God wants me to do. And so the one who sows and the one who reaps should be able to rejoice together in what the Lord is doing for his kingdom. Well, we've got to wrap this up. So let's look at verses 39 through 42. Because something else happens. And here is, is so important for us to see. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. In other words... Some of the people believe because she testified about Jesus. She gave her testimony. And so when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. They, they looked for him, and they found him, and they said, please, stay with us. And he said, okay, I'll stay with you a couple of days. All right. And then many more believed because of his own word. So those others brought other people, and... Other lives were affected and they sat and heard from the very word of the Messiah himself. And notice in verse 42, and they said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of thy say. Now that's not, that's not cutting her down or anything. That's not putting her down. It says, well, we believe not because of, of what you said, even though your testimony is great. For we have heard him, we have heard him ourselves, you see. We have heard it now. And know that this is indeed the Messiah the Christ, the Savior of the world. Folks, if there is an urgency to our labor, there will always be results of our labor. Many believed on Christ because of the woman's testimony. The seed had been sown in the woman's heart by the prophets of old and through the first five books of the Scripture, the Torah, which the Samaritans believed. But it was Jesus who reaped her soul. She in turn went and bore her testimony within the city, and many of that city believed on Jesus that day. Now, other opportunities were given. The new believers begged Jesus to stay with them. They wanted to learn more, and they had friends who needed to hear Him as well. And so, like a stone, listen, like a stone that was dropped into water, Jesus' words 
of life fell into the Samaritan woman's heart and then it rippled through the city. Is that single life important? Is that single soul important? A solitary seed has been planted and in the time that it takes to eat lunch, remember the disciples were eating lunch, an entire field of humanity became ripe for harvest and for the kingdom of God. You see, this woman saw Jesus. Remember this. This woman saw Jesus first as a Jew. And then she called him sir. And then she called him a prophet. And eventually she would call him Messiah. But not only her, but all who came and heard from him. And so, looking at all the indicators, it can be safe to say that this Samaritan woman was truly saved. Conviction of the heart led to conversion, which led to evangelism as she tells others what she found. Of those that came and heard the words of Jesus, many believed. They listened to the woman and then they saw for themselves as they too were brought to saving grace. So think about this. Samaritans coming to Jesus Christ when the Pharisees wanted a confrontation with Him. You see, Jesus not only came for His own, He came for the world. Jesus did say, I have come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he also said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost, both Jew and Gentile. Let's never forget that. And we now join the Jewish people in the ministry of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God and Jesus the Messiah himself to the world. That has become our mission. That is our work. That is our labor that we rejoice in. We see that so often today where the ones who should have gotten it didn't get it. We see it so often today with people who hold on to a religion instead of holding on to a Redeemer. Those who hold on to a sacrament instead of holding on to the Savior. In saying that, what do you think of Jesus? Is He your Savior? If so, serve Him. If you're not sure... He needs to be your Savior. You need to recognize what He came to do for you. What is so significant about the end of this passage here in John chapter 4 is that faith that is based on simply the testimony of another is good, but it's only secondary. True faith moves on its own experience and confrontation with Jesus. 
That's why it is so important to see that they said, the men said, we have heard him for ourselves. You have to bring people to the knowledge of Jesus' presence right here, right now. And say, now's the time for you to listen to him speak to your heart. And you ask for him. You ask him for his mercy and his grace, which he'll gladly give. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead. For Jesus to be recognized as a savior of the world is significant here in that his light shines for all and is not limited only to the nation of Israel. Remember in John chapter 1 verse 11, it tells us he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12 says, but to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God, to as many as believe in his name. That, both Jew and Gentile, to as many as believe in his name. But just a few verses earlier than that, in John 1 verse 9, John says, that was the true light, speaking of Jesus, which lights every man that comes into the world. Every man. Why? Because every man is tainted with sin. Every man falls short of the glory of God, whether Jew or Gentile. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the Lord has come for all. Why is John 3.16 so important? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him, Jew or Gentile. I want to close with Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. It says, after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. This is yet to come, of course, but it says, uh, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Folks, is one soul important? Yes. That Samaritan woman was that important to Jesus. He delighted in her salvation, but more than anything, he delighted in that she went and just couldn't keep her mouth shut. (laughs) There was a man over there that knew everything that I've ever done. He couldn't be the Messiah, could he? Well, let's go find out for ourselves. An interesting way to, to witness, but it was a good way. It certainly was effective, wasn't it? What will we do as we look for the day of Jesus Christ? What must we do? Jesus must needs go into Samaria and it brought the gospel to a bunch of people that were considered trash they weren't trash to Jesus do we know people like that do we know someone that needs the love of Jesus it comes by what we do with our life but also through our testimony we have a lot of testimony if we'll just pray and say, Lord, give me the words to share with someone, even just one person a day about Jesus Christ. 
If all of us collectively did that this week and brought them with us into the family of God, we wouldn't have empty chairs. You see, I'm not speaking to empty chairs today. I'm speaking to you. What is God speaking to you here about? Let's pray. Father, now we ask today that you would show yourself strong on behalf of those whose hearts find themselves loyal unto you. How we ask, Lord God, that you would strengthen us spiritually, strengthen us biblically, strengthen us courageously, Lord. Because truly you did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. How we ask, Lord, that you would fill our hearts, Lord. Fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Take away, Father, the distractions of the flesh. Through your word, Lord, reveal where we have gone our own way and sought to do things our way and not yours. That will always keep us, Lord God, from fulfilling our ministries. I just ask, Lord God, that you would pour out your spirit in such a way that it just saturates us and brings us, Lord God, to the wisdom and understanding of your word. Heal us where we need healing. Save those, Lord, who need salvation right now in Jesus. And equip us, Lord, more and more this day with all that we need for life and godliness through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.